Hey, it's Craig. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Canadian History X early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Greetings and welcome to another episode of Canadian History X. Sometimes the Korean War does not get the acknowledgement it deserves in Canada, with the World Wars often taking most of the pages of the history books. But during the Korean War, 26,000 Canadians would travel to the Korean Peninsula to fight in the war. And during that war, 516 Canadians would die, 312 of which would be in combat. And many of those deaths came from one battle, the bloodiest battle for Canadians during the war, the Battle of Hill 187. With the Commonwealth forces having taken Hill 187 at the Jamestown line, the 3rd Battalion of the Royal Canadian Regiment would be forced to hold that hill, while a huge wave of Chinese assault troops were heading towards the hill to retake it. The battle was one of the last engagements before the end of the Korean War, and most of the soldiers who fought in the battle had only arrived in Korea a few weeks previous. Today in Canada, the battle is mostly forgotten, an unfortunate fact considering its importance and the number of Canadians who died. The 3rd Battalion of the Royals landed in Korea on March 23, 1953, and within a few weeks they would get an intense taste of battle. Now most of the men were new, but some were from the 1st Battalion of the Royal Regiment who did not have enough time in Korean service to return home, along with a few volunteers who had experience but opted to stay in Korea. The battalion was led by Lieutenant Colonel K.L. Campbell, and none of the company commanders in the battalion had been with the battalion before the summer of 1952. As for the hill they would come to, it was located in the center of the 1st Commonwealth Division front. The Chinese had failed in their attack at Pork Chop Hill, and that was when they turned their attention to Hill 187. Upon their arrival, the men were deployed in four rifle companies spaced over 2,400 yards. For Company C, they were the most vulnerable, sitting the closest to enemy lines. A Company would be the farthest from the Chinese, and only B Company would be able to supply a supporting fire towards C Company to defend them. The area is related by Captain Ross Appleton. The terrain was made up of steep-sided hills, joined by steep-sided ridges, and separated by valleys varying from narrow, bush-choked ravines to wide, flat-bottomed valleys floored with a rice paddy. Because of the width of front allocated to a battalion, usually 2,500 to 4,000 yards, the defensive position usually consisted of platoon positions on the more prominent hills loosely grouped into company positions suited to the ground pattern. In the evening of May 2, 1953, Lieutenant Jerry Maynell was out on patrol with his unit when they were suddenly under attack. He would be killed, along with having half of his men killed or wounded. The surviving men retreated to Hill 187 and found that the Chinese were about to begin unleashing an overwhelming attack on them. Dennis Redknapp would relate the beginning of the battle in this recording from the Memory Project. Anyway, the patrol went out 16 men. And they hadn't been out there very long before they were ambushed. They went out to ambush Chinese, and in fact, they were ambushed themselves by the Chinese. And their 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 leader, was Second Lieutenant Jerry Manel, was killed. And a, a second patrol went rushing out to try and uh, help 
get them back in, and the officer leading that patrol was also killed. The rest of the, the uh, patrol managed to get back in. In the meantime, we were firing defensive fire around the area, trying to keep the Chinese back. Anyway, the patrols came back in, and then uh, um, the Chinese lifted their barrage, and then they, they swarmed in. Kenneth Himes added his own recollection of taking part in getting the wounded from the ambush. A company sent out a patrol, uh, just uh, for a fighting patrol. Uh, it'd be probably about uh, 13, 14 people on it. And uh, when they, go, <coughs> they entered into the valley, uh, they ran into uh, some Chinese. The patrol ran into some Chinese, and the fight, firefight started, which started the whole thing. And then all, all the artillery, the Chinese artillery and mortars were being dropped onto uh, C, uh, C Company. And uh, a group of us, 10 of us from uh, A Company, we got word that uh, we had wounded down there from the patrol. We didn't, by the time we got together and started down with stretchers, we got about halfway and uh, it was time to throw the stretchers away and carry on with uh, into the, the battle. The shells and bombs began to fall slowly at first and were spaced out so that the Canadians did not know when the attack was coming. Gerard Besaneau speaks about that barrage. We were on Hill 187. We were with the 3rd Regiment RCRs, Charlie Company. I'll never forget it, that's for sure. And... Uh, the infantry part was very undermanned. We had some uh, what they call CATCOMs, Korean Augmentation Troops, and uh, to fill in some of the spaces that were empty from wounded people. They were South Korean soldiers, and there was no communication with us, and you didn't even know if who they were, you know, altogether total we had 90 casualties we had uh, i think it was 30 34 of canadians were killed that night and there was four catcoms that were killed i don't know how long it went on uh, you, you just lose track of all the time and uh there was three guys back in our bunker. They were down there, and they wanted to go out and repair the telephone lines because they were cut from shrapnel. And I told them to stay there where it was safe because until everything lifted. So when everything lifted, I, I went down there to see what was going on, and it was pretty silent then. I, I remember going, going to our bunker I tripped over a body, you know, it was, I, I don't know if it was an enemy or one of the catcoms. I couldn't tell because you couldn't understand. I, I checked him, he was alive. His eyes were wide open, and very scared. When I went in our bunker, uh, as soon as I got there, I noticed a uh, an artillery shell landed right in the doorway of our bunker and two of my guys were sitting on my cot right across from the doorway of the bunker and 
soon as I saw them, I don't want to be graphic about it, but I knew they were both killed instantly. And the third guy that was in there was on his cot near the doorway of the bunker. And the only, he was unconscious from the concussion. I came out and I, I was over by this guy that was laying in the trench again and uh, I don't know what happened. I start crying like a baby. I, w I was crying like a baby and I, uh, and Jim was still in the bunker. He was unconscious and an officer went by and he said, what are you crying for? I, I said, my two buddies are dead in there. He said, this is no place for crybabies. He says, get out of it. And, uh, it snapped me right out of it. Throughout the night and into the next day, the Chinese would throw wave after wave of men at the 3rd Battalion, while also hammering them with artillery fire. Eventually ammunition would run out, and the men would engage in hand-to-hand -hand combat with the Chinese, while throwing grenades constantly. One Royal Canadian Regiment platoon estimated they threw 350 grenades alone. Lieutenant Ed Hollier, a platoon commander, would see his men dealing with 800 Chinese troops swarming, and he would call down an artillery bombardment on its own trenches to disperse the Chinese offensive. The decision to fire on their own position is again related by Redknapp. And uh, they were uh, overrunning the place. And uh, so Ed Hollier, uh, through uh, communications, got back to... Uh, got back to us and uh, he uh, requested that we fire on the top of his position with airburst. In the meantime, he's tr trying to get all his men in into the bunkers. So that's what we did. We fired airburst shells so that they wouldn't hurt people who were underground, but it would cause a great deal of shell fragmentation on the surface for on the Chinese who were running around. Um, finally, uh, we did that twice, uh, two different times. In the meantime, all the other uh, guns in the, in the Commonwealth Division were firing uh, in all sorts of defense, uh, defensive fire around the area. And finally, the Chinese withdrew, uh, but not before they did. And this was the heaviest casualty count of any single battle that Canadians fought in, uh, in Korea. And we had 26 RCR dead, two gunners two, two from my battery were dead. There were something like 25 or 27 wounded, and the Chinese had taken seven prisoners. Girard adds to the story about the barrage on their own position. Then I started doing what I had to do again. The enemy barrage stopped. But meanwhile, we did, we did get some communication uh, with one of the other uh, outposts and we called our own artillery down upon us to get the enemy off. They were in the trenches. We threw hand grenades that they, they were duds. None of them were, none of them were fused. We weren't allowed to fuse them without permission. And that was sad. You might as well have thrown rocks at the enemy. And some of the some of the fellas, after they couldn't fire anymore, their guns were empty. They were 
swinging at the enemy, swinging their rifles like baseball bats. But uh, when our own artillery came down upon us, our battery fired over 4,000 rounds of 25-pounders. And that, uh, that chased the enemy off our hill, our own artillery. For his actions, Hollier would be awarded the Military Cross. According to one soldier, there were three waves of attacks by the Chinese. The first wave blew gaps in the wire, the second wave threw grenades, and the third wave was the assault group. Don Sudden had volunteered to serve overseas and would find himself at the Battle of Hill 187, serving as a frontline gunner. He would say in his recollection, You're so busy. you got an enemy soldier coming at you, and he's got a bayonet, and he's going to tear your ribs out. So you're going to do something about that guy there. You don't care too much about either side, so you're dealing with the person in front of you. George Browning was just a young man when the battle happened, and he would say, When I was 18, I buried 26 of my friends in one night after the Battle of Hill 187. Himes speaks about the battle itself. Chinese were shooting at us. Um, our own artillery was firing on, a, on our own hill. Uh, the, <coughs> uh, the lieutenant um, in C Company, he called down for a barrage from our own artillery. And uh, our, our mortars were fired. And uh, so we had everybody was shooting at us, I think. Uh, the armored car were firing theirs, flat trajectory weapons and, and machine guns. And <laughs> so on the way down, all, all I could, as I approached the, the hill, all it was just like a cherry, red cherry. The explosions were that, that fast. And... Bill Jardine had enlisted at the age of only 15, saying his age was 18. He would have the highest rifle range score in the company during training, and before long, he was on his way to Korea and Hill 187. When the Chinese attacked, Jardine said they came in waves and, in his words, were swarming like ants. In later years, he would say, In Canadian history, it may have been a minor incident, but to the men of Charlie Company, it was a defining moment. They sacrificed their lives and should never be forgotten. In speaking with the Frontenac News, Bill Robinson recounted that the attack was the fiercest he ever experienced in Korea. A shell would hit the corner of his trench, sending him through the air. And thankfully he survived, with just a concussion and an injury to his ear that would leave him with diminished hearing for the rest of his life. Unlike many of the troops in the battalion who had only arrived a few weeks earlier, Robinson had been in Korea for eight months and was assigned to the battalion because of his low on men. The regiment would hold the hill, but it would come at the cost of 26 Canadians dead, 27 wounded, and 7 taken prisoner. Brigadier General Jean Allendale, who was in charge of the 25th Canadian Infantry Brigade, did not see the battle as a victory. For him, it was the enemy who had won, considering the heavy losses by the regiment. He would use the battle as a reason to whip the new arrivals into shape. When the battle was over, little press about it made it home to Canada, and what did was published several weeks later, and it had been censored before it ever made it to the newspapers. This would put the battle as something very few Canadians knew about, or even know about today. But for the soldiers in the battle, there would be two military crosses, three military medals, and five mention in dispatches. 
On July 27, 1953, only a few weeks after the battle, the Korean War would come to an end. Information comes from the Frontenac News, the Wartime Heritage Association, the Pembroke Observer, CTV, St. Joseph's Healthcare London, Canadian Veterans Advocacy, RCR Association, the Maple Ridge News, Canada's Three Korean Wars, the Memory Project, and Veterans Affairs. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Canadian History X, and if you did, you can support the podcast at Patreon by going to patreon.com slash CanadaEHX. You can email me at craig at CanadaX.com, and you can find hundreds of articles on Canada's history on my website at CanadaX.com. Thanks, and we'll see you again next time.